Thanks, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone Church Liverpool. Um, good to see you this morning. If you're a new face here this morning, real, real warm, warm welcome to you as well. We'd love to get to know you, so please come and speak to us after as well um, so we can get to know you. It is, I have to say, it's good to be back, being away a little bit over the summer. And when I say I'm glad to be back, I properly mean I'm glad to be back. And let me explain. The first week of the holidays, I went to Turkey. I ended up with Delhi Belly, or Turkey Belly, which is like Delhi Belly, but from Turkey. And when we came home, I got COVID, which knocked me out for a couple of, couple of weeks. And then we went to Wales for four days. Now, when we were in Wales for four days, first of all, I stood on a weaver fish. I don't know if you've ever heard of a weaver fish. It's a really weird experience. Basically, these little fish, about that big, they, they, they hide in the, in the low tide. I put my foot on it, and it injected a venomous spine into my foot that had to be drawn out. It was horrendous. Then me and two of the, my daughters got stuck in a riptide, which is a traumatic experience. And then me and my wife got ch chased by a, what can only be called a herd of homicidal cows across a field. So I am glad to be back in Liverpool. It is, it is not safe in Wales. I'm just, just saying that. Good to be back. Right, before I begin today, I've just got a couple of, of quick notices. I won't go into too much detail. We'll explain it more next week. But just a couple of dates for your diary that I'd like you to, to, to take note of. First of all, on October the 16th, we're having a baptism service. Isn't that great? What a great way for our first notice of this new year as we step into it to be, we're having a baptism service. That's what we're all about, isn't it? Seeing people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So the 16th of October, put it in your um, calendars. If you haven't been baptized and you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is an invitation. Come and speak to us. Keep that day free. Come and speak to us. If you're thinking about it already and you're in conversation, come and let us know so that we know who it is that is getting baptized on that day. Second of all is just a, a bit of a van notice for, for next week. So on the 14th and 15th, um, instead of having our team meetings through various times of the year for those that serve on a Sunday, on the 14th and 15th, we're going to be gathering centrally in the church. I'll tell you more about this next week, but first of all, just so you know, if you're in the, the musical, the um, children's team, so they, they do the kids work at the back, 14th of September, the Wednesday, it's going to be your time to do your training, it'll be in the back. On the 16th, if, on the 15th of September, sorry, if you're in the Boulder, the AV team or the Connect team, then keep that date free. Similarly, if you're interested in serving on any of those teams, come along to those meetings. We'll give you more information next week, but for now, just keep those dates free. And the last notice, it is great to have the Blundells with us this morning, isn't it? Fantastic. For those that don't know, Ethan Edward was born last Friday, weighing seven pounds, 15 ounces. Is that right? Yeah, I wrote it down. It's good. Got it there. Well done. Fantastic. How are you doing, Ben? Are you okay? Must have been tough. It must have been tough. Yeah, fantastic. Praying for you guys. Anyway, it's great, really. Welcome to obviously to, welcome to the family as well. Um, praying for you guys, and obviously pray that you have a good time together over the next week um, as a family. Okay, so over the summer, we've been going through the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter is one of those books. It's a short book. It often gets missed, I think, in our Bible readings, or it gets twisted and a little bit misunderstood or misused. But there's so much gold in this book, so much gold. And over the past week, Sam and Ben and Eddie and Luke have been taking us through to Peter. It's been great. If you haven't had a chance to listen to them, go back and listen to those messages. They've been, been really good. It's been great just to kind of be walked through that letter. And today we actually finish off our series in 2 Peter. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. 
Um, the verses will be on the screen, but it's also really helpful to have your Bibles open in front of you as well, so you can see where we, where we are in the context of where we are. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him, without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord, the salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we get together, that there is a joy and a privilege and a blessing to be able to gather as your people in this place, together under the sound of your word, in the presence of your spirit. What a joy, what a privilege. And Father, we need your help as we do every single day, and we just pray that you will give us your help by your spirit to see clearly as we walk through this passage, to be comforted, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to have our gaze lifted up, to see the Lord Jesus Christ, to see the beautiful truth of the end of time and what is gonna happen and what it means for us who believe in you. Father, help us, I pray. This morning, by your spirit, I ask, in humble need, amen. Okay, so firstly, we get a warning a warning of a, of a virus. In verse 10, it starts with the word, but. So our passage that we're going into comes with a context. And Peter, he's writing at the end of his life to a group of churches, probably in Asia Minor, around 60 AD. And he's calling these believers to live, live rightly as God's people in a really broken world. And what we've read as we've gone through the letters, there's false teachers within the churches and they're teaching dangerous things. And not only are they teaching dangerous things, they are taking people with them down a very dangerous road. What is interesting as you look through this book and what struck me when I first opened this book up is there's three chapters. One whole chapter is speaking against these false teachers. It is hugely important for Peter. And Peter, what he does, he warns him. He says, expect false teachers in the churches. Just like there was false prophets in the Old Testament, they were expected and spoken about, also expect false teachers in the churches. They will be there. Be on your guard. And the false teachers here in Asia Minor, what they were doing, they, they seemed to be teaching that, that Jesus Christ wasn't coming back. Luke took us through it last week in verse 4. They're kind of saying that God hasn't, isn't, and won't intervene in history. So, so if Jesus isn't coming back, what that means is there's going to be no end time judgment. And Peter, working his way through it, he flipped that argument on his head. He says, well, God created the world. You're admitting that. He has intervened. God judged the world through the water in Noah's days. God came in the Lord Jesus Christ, and God is coming back in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. He isn't neglecting to come back. 
He hasn't forgotten to come back, but what he is doing, he's being patient. He's being patient to bring all of his people to repentance. And as well as this wrong theology that the false teachers stood on, they also had twisted morals. They come hand in hand. In their denying, distorting, and twisting of truth, they would excuse in their own wrong living. There's a saying that what you believe happens tomorrow in the future shapes how you act today. What you believe happens tomorrow and in the future shapes how you act today. And it's true, isn't it? It's true. So, so if the false teachers are teaching, well, nothing happens in the future. God isn't coming. There's going to be no judgment. Therefore, that changes how you live today. You don't have to live by any standard but your own. You can kind of live as you want, as your desires lead you. And it seems from, from chapter 2, there's an undercurrent of sexual desires being played out within the false teachers in the church. And what Peter does, he warns them. So verse 15, just have a little glance at that for us. And 16, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks to them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorance and unstable, that's the false teachers, twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Just a couple of things I just want to draw out from that that are important for us. Just a point to note, I think, for our general biblical application, there's a good relationship here between Peter and Paul. That's something we need to hold to. Second of all, Peter calls Paul's letters Scripture. He actually uses the word Scripture. He is recognizing Paul's letters at this early date as God's Word. And that word that he used, Scripture, that Greek word that he used 51 times in the New Testament, it is used. And it is always, with only two exceptions, here and 1 Timothy 5.18 it is, it always refers back to the Old Testament Scriptures. Just soak that in. The New Testament books written or authorized by the apostles were recognized at a very early date to be God's Word. God's Word attests to itself as God's Word. And Peter acknowledges, which I think is really comforting, I don't know about you, but this is a really comforting verse. He acknowledges that some, and just a caveat here, he doesn't say all of Paul's writings, some are hard to understand. So if you do struggle with some of Paul's letters or the content of some of Paul's letters, that's okay, you're in good company. But what we're called to do there is with the help of God's Holy Spirit, under God's word, with the whole of God's word and God's people together, we're to work it out together in light of the whole of Scripture, in light of the whole counsel of God, and in light of the plain reading, the text, and the context that it's found. We're not to do what the false teachers were doing in these hard passages, twisting it to justify their own sinful lifestyle. They obviously had this licentious lifestyle, this free-for-all lifestyle, and they were twisting maybe Paul's use of freedom in his letters to justify it, maybe twisting some ideas of how they were justified and made right before God. Possibly some of that easy grace that, that Eddie was talking to us about a few weeks ago with the false teachers. I just carry on sin. It's okay. God's gracious. And ultimately underpinning this and over this is that God does not, not intervene in human affairs and so therefore there's no judgment. They weren't feeling the weight of the judgment of God upon them. Therefore they could make their own rules and live their own way. And Peter warned, he's very strong here. They do so at their own destruction. That's what he says if you read it carefully. They do so at their own destruction. This is so relevant to us, isn't it? We are living in a sinful, broken, and messed up world. 
There are powerful forces, folks, at play trying to undermine the gospel and to lead God's people astray. There is a, a strong current pulling us away from safety, pulling us away from the stability of God's word that a powerful force is seeking to control our thoughts, our desires, our actions. And God is either dismissed totally as not real or his word and his character are changed so that people can live how they want to live. This is true, folks, of many churches in our country. Peter's speaking about false teachers within the churches. This is true of churches in Liverpool. This is true of leaders in supposedly Christian churches within a few miles of where we are gathering right now. Asking the same question that the devil asked right at the start. Did God really say that? Did he? Casting doubt, false truths and lies. And taking God's people or people within the churches and taking churches and even denominations with them. God's too loving to judge. He just wants you to be happy. Happiness means live how you want, follow your desires. God has given us the freedom to define ourselves, be who and what you want to be. God is love, so be happy however you want to live your life. Live your best life now, today. Make your choices about you, your desires. God is dismissed as an authority. God is dismissed as judge. He's dismissed as creator. He's dismissed as definer. And our whole identity as humanity is changed. We get to define right and wrong. We get to define good and evil. We actually get to define what humanity is. The limits, the boundaries, the definitions that God has given us for our flourishing, for our good, become twisted and distorted and evil in our culture. When God and his word are removed, or when God's word is twisted from any conversation about who we are as humanity, how we flourish, how we make sense of the world, we know we're in trouble. We know we're in trouble. See, we are creatures. And we need to reclaim that. We are creatures made by a creator. God is the creator. That's the reality that we live in. To live outside of that reality is irrationality and lunacy. It is that reality of being created by God that gives all purpose and meaning. He defines us. God defines what is right. God defines what is wrong. He is the judge. By that very definition of God being the judge, that gives life purpose and it gives life meaning. The only way, exclusively, exclusively for humanity to flourish is living the way that God calls humanity to live because he's our creator. Removing God as the one who provides our identity and purpose and meaning actually means we remove all purpose and meaning and seeking to define right and wrong outside of God to be masters of our own identity. We have left rationality and reality and what we're left with without God is just a mix of meaninglessness and purposelessness. It affects us, it affects our children, it pours in and pulls down institutions. It is polluting and corrupting physical and public, sorry, public conversations, politics and government. It is infecting the church. We have to be aware. Paul is calling God's people, Paul is calling the churches to be aware, to be on the lookout and to be on guard. And he says there's an antidote to this virus. Verse 10, 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The certainty of God's word is the antidote to the virus. The day of the Lord, that is a phrase, folks, that is used all the way through the Bible. It's the day that God comes to bring salvation through judgment. That's a biblical theme that we see, salvation through judgment. And there is a day at the end of time when the Lord Jesus Christ will return in full glory, returning to judge all people and things and to bring salvation to his people. And that day, verse, tell, verse 10 tells us, will come. Don't pass over those two, those two words. They are really important. That day will come. That is emphatic in the text here. What that means is it's certain. It will happen. That is a fixed certainty. That day, the day of the Lord will come. But it will come like a thief, it says here. What that means is a, a phrase that, that Peter has heard Jesus say. And what is being said here by thief, they use thief, is a bit strange in many ways, but a thief's coming is unpredictable. It's opened out in other places, but for here, a thief's coming is unpredictable. We can't predict when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Commentator on this says that he uses this phrase, that the day of the Lord has an unpredictable certainty. We can't predict it, but it will happen. We just need to be ready for it as God's people. Okay, but the question then is, well, what's going to happen? in this day of the Lord. What's going to happen? The Bible speaks about this. God is not quiet on this, folks. He tells us. Paul, in fact, in Romans 8, he says the creation was subjected to futility because of sin. So since that, that very first sin, the cosmos, that is the, the whole of the universe, the whole of creation, has com been completely corrupted and distorted. It needs purifying. It needs renewing. And so we read that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, the children of God will be revealed. And the heavens, the, the cosmos, they will be purified, remade. And the earth and all that has been done in it will be exposed. That is a scary phrase, folks. The earth and all that has been done on it will be exposed. Peter's point here is that there is nowhere to hide. Nowhere. The phrase exposed, it actually means will be found. There's going to be a judgment by God. So all sin, all wrong thoughts, all desires, all wrong actions will be exposed before the judgment of God. And on that day, there's going to be two groups of people. It's going to be those who reject God, those who reject his message, those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will be judged, the Bible tells us for everything that they have done. That the God who is infinite and eternal will judge them infinitely and eternally. And Peter's point on that day is there'll be no hiding. There will be full exposure and full judgment. But there's another group, the children of God. Who are the children of God? The children of God are those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just be clear on this. It's not that the children of God haven't sinned. They're not perfect people. No, they have sinned. The children of God are those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ because of their sin and their helplessness before God. The Lord Jesus Christ, who in his death became our sin, took our place in the punishment from God for our sin. We've messed up. We have sinned, but we trust Christ because he is perfect. So for those of us who believe there will be no judgments, at that end of time. Why? 
Because the judgment's already taken place on Christ. He took it for us. That is comfort. Our judgment is gone because Christ took it. So on that day, we will stand in awe and we will stand in joy of what God is doing in and through us. The question is, which group will you be in? Which group will you be in? God is not delaying because he's slow. God is not delaying because he's absent or he's not coming. God is delaying purely by grace. So his people can turn in repentance and his people can turn in faith. This is an invitation. It's the free offer of God's grace in Christ. Just for a second, be honest, please. Stop hiding. You know you've messed up. I have. If you could see my life, if my life was displayed for everyone to see here, you would turn away from me in disgust. Some of the things I've done, I'm ashamed of. But in those moments, where do I turn? The devil wants to be reminded me of those things. Now I turn to Christ and see who he is and see his perfection and what he has done and see how he has made me right by his grace. That's where we turn. Let's be honest. You've messed up. You have messed up. If everything was to be exposed, which this passage tells us is going to happen for those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, it will be found and it will be exposed. Christians are not better people. It's not that we haven't or don't sin. We actually realize that we do and we turn to Christ. Will you do the same? Will you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? No matter what you've done, there's no sin bigger and his grace and his goodness that he can't take for you. Will you receive the blessing of eternal life in him today, right now? And for those in the Lord Jesus Christ, what a day. Look at verse 13 with me. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells let that sink in. We're going to be given a new heavens and a new earth. We are going to be given a new home. You know that feeling of home that you get? Sometimes you long for it. That feeling of home is just a little small foretaste of the home that we are going to have. Utterly, utterly renewed. Sin removed completely. Gone. A perfect world. A world that we just feels like home where we belong and every question is answered. Everything we've ever longed for is going to be there. A place where righteousness dwells. What does that mean? Jesus is there. Jesus is there. Jesus is the man of righteousness and God's righteousness therefore dwells there. He's with his people. No separation. He's with us in this perfect new world. A perfect God with a perfect people. No sin, no consequences of sin, no effects of sin internally, externally, between us. A perfect existence in an embodied righteousness. What, what a promise. What a certainty. God says it and it's true. So that reality, folks, that reality, that future reality, that future destination shapes our journey right now. 
That's saying that what happens tomorrow or in the future shapes today. That reality of what's going to happen in the future actually is pulled back into today. If that's where we know where we're going, that shapes how we walk through today. This very day, I know some of you are walking through pain and suffering and difficulty right now. God gives this truth for you right now. Fix your eyes up. See him. See that perfect reality in the future. Not to get lost in this moment, but to walk through today's pain, to walk through today's suffering, to walk through today's tensions, to walk through today's hardships, to walk through today's fears, to walk through today's insecurities, to walk through today's doubts, knowing, knowing that he loves you, that you can take that step forward in his, in his power because he loves you and he's with you with your eyes fixed on that day when you will be home. And then we get a call to live in light of this, verse 11 to 12. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? This is a call to live in light of that day today. All of this, he says, is going to dissolve. All the things that we base our lives on now that are so important to us, wrongly, in many, many ways, the things that we, that we believe bring us security or certainty now, money, houses, relationships, holidays, promotions, whatever that would be, pensions. It's like sand flowing through our fingers. All the things we stress about and get anxious about. I'm the worst for this. I wake up in the middle of the night all the time worrying about the most stupid things. It's like sand flowing through our fingers. Christians, we are called to build our lives right now in light of then, to build our lives on and around the things that are going to pass through that judgment. Lives of holiness and godliness, Peter tells us here, waiting and hastening the coming of God. That's what he says in verse 12. We live in the waiting, preparing for that day. There's a preparation element to how we live now. Like a bride waiting and preparing for her wedding day in excitement and longing, but knowing that's the, the journey's end. For us, that means holiness and godliness, pure lives. And the language here that we see all through the New Testament is active. We are to actively seek to live godly, godly lives, to live under God's will to live God's way, to be in submission to him in all things. And the flip side of that, well, doesn't God keep us? Isn't it God that keeps us till the end? Well, yes, the Bible teaches us that. But he works through us. We're not just passive robots. Paul fleshes this out a bit more in Philippians where he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. So growing in godliness and holiness is worked out in relationship with God. God works in us as we actively pursue holiness and godliness. There's a relational element to this. And you see that word hasten? <laughs> That's challenging. We hasten the Lord's coming. God ordained to work through human agents, people like me and people like you. He works through us. And he said that he's going to return after all things are going, to, are going to be accomplished. All his people saved. So when we share the gospel, when we advance the kingdom in other ways, when we pray your kingdom come, we hasten, quicken the fulfillment of God's purposes. And Peter then builds on this active language again in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, 
Since you are waiting for these, you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent. That's active language again. Take care. Think about care, thoughtfulness, conscientiousness. Think about how you prepare for that day. One of my daughters is starting secondary school this week. She's got a uniform, she's got a sports kit, she's got a, a new pencil case and all that goes in it, all the rubbers and the rulers and the compasses and everything there. She's got a trial bus run that she's, she's gonna be doing. She's got a bus pass, it's all prepared. She's preparing for that day when she starts secondary school. Do we think like that? We prepare for so much, don't we, in our lives? Are we preparing for that day? Are we preparing for that day? How do we prepare? Well, we do it by actively pursuing a relationship with God and living his way. That's what Peter is calling them to. Be diligent in preparing for the last day. And the question then becomes, are you diligent? Are you thoughtful and careful in your walk of faith? I think that's a really important question to ask. Are you thoughtful and careful in your walk of faith? We're thoughtful and careful in so many of our other areas in life, aren't we? Are we thoughtful and careful in our walk of faith? Are we striving to put to death sin? Are we striving to flee from sin, literally to turn and run? Do you pursue good things? Do you pursue godly things? Are you intentional in how you engage with God and how you engage with his people? So what Peter's calling us to is to be Diligent to be found spotless and without blemish, to be at peace on that last day. Paul in Ephesians 5, he gives us the means by how this happens again to show us how this works. It tells us that Jesus Christ sanctifies the church. He makes us holy. So Jesus makes the church holy and godly by washing her with the water of the word so that he presents the church to himself in splendor, holy, without spot or blemish. Do you see that? God is working, he's at work in through us as we diligently pursue him. This is a great call from God, this first weekend that we have in September, when it feels like there's new beginnings happening again, the start of this new year, a call to be diligent in our relationship with God in preparation for that day. What does that look like for you? This year, this month, this week, tomorrow, today, this afternoon, New beginnings, we have a God of new beginnings. September the 4th, 2022, God's mercies are new every single day. Start today preparing for that day right now. And then we get to verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. We are not to get carried away with this cultural current. This cultural current, folks, is strong. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Wales. I kind of alluded to it before. We were in the Lynn Peninsula over in North Wales. And we went to a beach which was called Hell's Mouth. We should have known at that point not to go anywhere near it, but we didn't, foolishly. And as we walked down to the beach, there were these warning signs on the way. It was like a 400-meter walk. And the, the warning signs on the way said, watch out for riptides. Okay, so I stopped with the girls and told them to avoid the riptides. Okay, so stay, stay in the water. Make sure the water's below waist height. Make sure you've got your feet planted on the ground. 
But if you do get caught in a riptide, swim sideways. Riptides are only like 15 to 20 meters. Okay, and a lot of people die. Most people who die on beaches die on riptides because it gets, it, 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 the riptide takes them directly out to sea. People panic and swim directly back to the shore. And the, the, the riptide's quicker than they can swim, so therefore they lose their energy, they panic, and they end up drowning. But all you're called to do is to swim sideways because it's only 15 to 20 meters. <laughs> it's easy when you're talking about it on the way down to the beach, by the way. But then we got in. And as we got into the water, all of that was forgotten because we were having such fun. It was brilliant. We had our wetsuits on. We were bodyboarding. We were catching waves that were at least this big. It was boss. We were riding them in. And one of my daughters got deeper. She wanted to go deeper, and I kept on saying, come back. And she went deeper, and I kept on saying, come back. She went deeper, and I kept on saying, come back. And eventually I said, no, you're going to deep. put your feet down. Put your feet down and come back. She shouted back, I can't. So I started panicking myself a little bit. And then I noticed my other daughter, there was two of them with me. And I said to her, come back, come back, put your feet down. And she said, I can't. So I very, very wisely threw, threw my floating device, as you do if you're going to swim, into a dangerous set and threw myself into this rift. I swam over to them thinking I could put my feet down. So I went to put my feet down. I couldn't put my feet down. And I'm getting pulled back. And so we're both panicking and now we're really getting scared because we're getting pulled back. So we start shouting, help, help, help. Seeing that there were people just up there as we're getting pulled back. And one of my daughters was panicking and shouting, help, help. And she was going, the, the boards that they had were off there. They were going up and down. They couldn't touch the floors. So I was trying to throw them up. Luckily, a guy who was a strong swimmer, he came over. He came over and took one of my daughters back. And I went back in to get the other one. And we were trying to get, she was getting under the water. I pulled her back out. And then eventually we managed to get outside somehow. I don't know how, actually, by God's grace, we managed to get out. It was traumatic, very traumatic. The comforting thing was that when we could stand, we could put our foot down, we had stability, we were on safe ground. Folks, the way God works, God gives us warnings. One of the, the methods that God uses to keep us safe and firm and stable in this world is by giving us warnings. You see it in his word. He does it all the time. He gives us warning. He warns us not to wonder. He warn, warns us to stay close. And yes, he does help us to stay close, but we still need to listen. Worldviews that are going around at the moment, the culture, as we shared at the beginning, the, the message of the culture, the pull of the culture, it's all very, very, very strong. It's like that riptide. Often it's hidden. You don't even realize that you're getting sucked into it and going back. And the pull is everywhere. It's happening with our kids in schools. It's happening in your workplaces. It's all over social media. Social media is incredibly dangerous for the pull of this message. It's happening in our communities. You see it in the advertising boardments as you walk down Smith Island and Allerton Road. It's operating in our family setups. It's operating in our friendship groups, constantly pulling us in, constantly pulling us away from the truth of God's word. Christian, there is a warning here, be aware. Be aware of the danger. Be aware of the danger that is just around us. As we are playing in the surf, be aware that there are currents that are pulling us back and seeking to pull us back. We can't fully withdraw from this sinful, broken world, but one day we will be free. That's clear from this passage. But now this is a call this year. As that pull grows stronger, be aware. And be aware of the antidote. Because there's an antidote. We don't live in fear like that as Christians. There is an antidote. Take care, verse 17. 
Oh, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing this beforehand, see the warning? Knowing this beforehand, there is a warning. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Stay on the stable ground. God's word, God's promises, God's presence, God's people. Stay amongst God's people in the right way. Stay stable. And how do we continue to stay safe and stay stable? Verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. This is a great, great way for us to lead into communion. What does grace mean? It's unmerited favor. That's what grace is. That's exactly what the word means here. Unmerited favor. None of us deserves this. We've all messed up. Yet God is gracious towards us. Child of God, you don't deserve any of the goodness that you receive in Christ. None of it. What we deserve is judgment and punishment. But what we receive in Christ is mercy, forgiveness, goodness, and grace. This is a call from Peter to to spend time in that, to to swim in those waters, to swim in the waters of grace, to to soak the truths of God's word in, to soak in the, the son of God's grace, allowing God's grace to warm and transform your soul and to grow in the grace, sorry, to grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to turn to face him, to fix your eyes on him, to see his character, his being, his beauty. You want to know what safe ground is? Him. Jesus. He is safe ground. He is stability. He is where our growth in the faith is found. Jesus. So what does it look like for you to grow in the, in the knowledge of his life? Think about that. His life how he lived, what he said, the things he did, his perfection. What does it look like to grow in the knowledge of his death? What did it mean? What happened there? What does it mean for you? What are the consequences or ramifications? How about just jumping into that for this next week or month? What's it look like to grow in the knowledge of his resurrection, that he, he rose again from the dead, pouring out life as the first fruits of the new creation into all his people? What's it look like just to spend a bit of time just growing in the knowledge of what that means? Growing in the knowledge of the, the ascension that the Lord Jesus Christ, the human being, rose into the very place of God. That is certainty. That is a human being, folks, in the very presence of, the, of God our Father. And what's it look like to grow in the knowledge of his return and all that that brings, all that that brings. We have to live our lives with Jesus Christ at the center for him and for his glory. On the last day, yes, that day of eternity that Peter talks about in that last verse, but equally as important now and every day till then. What a way to end the letter, Peter's last recorded words. And also, what a way for us to start this new year. We are awaiting people, and we are told how to wait, how to prepare, to pursue holiness and godliness and being diligent in our faith, staying stable, firm and secure in the strong current that is seeking to pull us away, growing in safety and stability in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him, be the glory both now and to the day of eternity when he returns and makes all things right and all things new. Amen. Let's pray.
how good are you? How gracious are you? How loving are you? How caring are you? How tender are you? How compassionate are you? How powerful are you? How infinite and how eternal are you? Father, these aspects of your character that are like the depths of the ocean that are just so big and above and beyond us that we can't understand them or ever get to the bottom of them. But Father, you allow us to enter in, to see. You've shown us grace in your son. You've shown us how much you love us and how much you have intervened. Your character is not absent. You've intervened in human history by sending Jesus. We know who you are when we look at him. We can never doubt you. Father, help us by your spirit to apply what is being said in this passage. Father, would you lift our eyes to, to grow in understanding about that last day and just the joy of what that last day brings. Father, help us as your people to live right now, rightly. We need you. Father, I pray for those who are suffering and struggling here today in pain. Father, I pray that the comfort of that last day would give them the strength for today, the strength for tomorrow as they wake up, the strength for Tuesday as they wake up, the strength for Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and every day since until you return. Father, for those that don't know you, I pray that today will be the day that you show them fully your goodness and grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. Make this a day of salvation. Father, thank you that you remind us because we forget. You remind us and you remind us and you remind us. And I thank you that we get to do this now, that we get to have this reminder together, that we get to share as a family, we get to eat as a family, we get to drink as a family. Remind us of your goodness and grace. By your spirit, fill us as we do this. Renew us as we do this, I pray. Amen.